Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Everybody wants you. My love. My love. Just gone three o'clock and we're going to get analytical on the great game of rugby now. Now I stumbled upon Sam Lanner. He's in the UK. I stumbled on him on Twitter, which and Twitter can be a wonderful thing when you want it to be. And finding Sam's account and analysis of rugby has been a great source of entertainment and intuition for me over the last couple of weeks. And he joins us on the line now. G'day, Sam. Hi there, Mark. Thank you very much for having me and thanks for the kind words as well. Um, gosh, you've you've covered so many things in rugby, and it, it, it's it's actually really technical, but still easy to understand. You take the time to point things out to us about strategies of rugby and the analysis of rugby. So, I just wanted to pick your brains on a couple of things that uh, are irked in New Zealand. Um, one of them is the box kick, the the box kick from the halfback over the scrum seems to be quite a major ploy or a major use of ball which I scratch my head at sometimes have you done any research or work on box kicking yeah so um it, it's the feelings the same up in uh, up in the northern hemisphere as well um the box kick particularly off the back of the caterpillar look is um is particularly hated um it's quite interesting that in that teams generally retain about about fourteen percent of the kicks um, they make. So um, it's, it, you mentioned obviously just before we started recording about kind of you've got when you've got the ball, you've got the ball, and when you kick it, um, you've got a you know fifty fifty chance of getting it back. Um, in in reality, the likelihood of getting it back is quite a lot lower. Mm. Um, but the benefit of of those opportunities when you do get it back, there seems to be quite a significant benefit in terms of overall success on how many of those kicks you can retain. So the league I look at probably most often um, is the URC. And at the moment, lengths to the, I think, 16 games unbeaten in the URC. Um, and unsurprisingly, they, they also lead the league in, in retaining um, their own kicks. Um, and if you imagine that, they, they can retain about about 50 kicks a season. Um and if you think about that, that's 50 opportunities to attack broken fields. And so, although kicking, and I, I, I quite like kicking, but I, I understand why people don't like it. I also understand why it's a barrier to, to new people entering the game. But one of the things it does do is it does create this broken field, um, which is really hard to get um, if you're just one team lining up and, and going through kind of 15, 20 phases. Um, there was a really good uh, sentence in Eddie Jones's playbook back when he was with Japan, where it was basically said, 
Um, we don't want to kick the ball, but unless we kick the ball, we play against 50-man defensive lines. Mm. And I think that's probably the most succinct explaining about why teams why teams are kicking and particularly why we've seen so much of the of the box kick recently. Yeah, I have um, I mentioned to you earlier uh, before the call that um, I've become a big fan of watching Ireland and this massive green wave and no one seems to stand out because it's just green man to green man and then there's three green men and then there's three green men out the other side and they and it's a wave upon wave upon wave. What what have you seen from Ireland? And I think even more recently in this current Six Nations, I've been really impressed with Scotland's strike play. Um, what have they? What have Scotland done uh, to to make themselves such a threat attacking wise? This Six Nations. Yeah, so I think. I think they're two really interesting teams uh, to look at because for the long time, uh, Ireland's kind of entire plan was to hold onto the ball for as long as they possibly could and hope that the opportunities kind of emerged. Um, that's still something that they're doing, but they're much more successful now than they were even just a few years ago. You know, just that ability to, to control possession. Um it makes a massive difference, and you know they're they're actually not not quite leading the um, the Six Nations. Um, Italy have slightly more possession than them, but Ireland just dominate um, the territory, and so they're a really fascinating team to watch from from that perspective. I think Scotland are, are quite different in that they have less possession. Um, there's out of interest, there's, there's very little correlation between possession and success. Um, yeah, we can think of teams who are really successful with with loads of possession, and teams who are really successful with with very little possession. Um, but you know, it is it does suggest a playing style, and Scotland really are, are quite low on the possession. But one of the things that we see a lot of from them, and this has been developing over the years, so um, up until basically up until the Six Nations, they had AB Zonga. Uh, as their attack coach, and, and he's left now. Um, but a, a big part of what they were trying to do was get the ball in Finn Russell's hands just as much as they possibly could. Um, and you can see that developing in, in their playing style, where there's very few other people who are who are getting the ball, who are making those decisions. Um, occasionally, you'll see Sioni to a Pilotto, um, with ball in hand, but traditionally he's, I guess, t- typically he's been used as kind of a a foil for Finn Russell to have a little bit more time and a little bit more space. Um, Ireland, although they're struggling really to find a placement for Sexton, they have so many people who can use the ball, who can have the ball, and who ha- who are attacking weapons. And so, although they're quite different uh, teams in terms of what they're doing you can really see quite similar playing styles um, and quite similar results. You know, they've, Ireland have scored 13 tries, Scotland have scored 12 tries in the Six Nations so far, and they're the top one and two. So they're, they're using very different ways of getting to essentially the same, the same result or the same answer. What about, um, there was always that, uh, and it's a while ago, that Southern Hemisphere teams used to run the ball and counter-attack and Northern Hemisphere played 10-man rugby. How, how important is the 10 and their effectiveness and the amount of times, you've just touched on it with Finn Russell, how many times he gets his hands on the ball. 
if you've got a good 10, you want it in his hands as often as possible? Basically, yeah. So so a, a big part um, of how teams play is, is based on how much they want, I guess how, how risk-averse they are. So if you look at a team like England at the moment, obviously under Steve Borthwick, um, he's come from Leicester Tigers and, and their playing style last year when they won the Premiership was incredibly risk-averse. So they had very low um, possession, um, but very high tackle success rate and very high turnovers. Um, and so they were playing off opposition mistakes. And that's something that Wales are, are, are trying to do at the moment, obviously less successfully than Leicester were. Um, but if you look at England, they can essentially, oppositions can essentially remove Owen Farrell or Marcus Smith from the game when they're playing Tang, and they still are successful. Um, so I looked this week at what happened when, when key fly halves were removed from, from the game. And I think there's a couple of interesting points that come from this. So there's big chunks of, of games where fly halves don't get the ball in their hand. So this Six Nations, um, the lowest gap between passes for fly halves um, was Unktermak uh, against Italy, where he went eight minutes and thirty-four. In, in, that's game minutes. So, say from the twelfth minute to the to the twentieth minute, he didn't make a single pass against Italy. Um, and the most is is also interestingly as as Unktermak against France, uh, against uh, Scotland, where he went for twenty minutes. So he went for the entire quarter of the game without even touching the ball. Now, generally. When that happens, teams will lose that period of time that their fly half doesn't have the ball um, and normally lose by a lot. Interestingly, England, when they've gone through those those periods of time, so Owen Farrell didn't receive the ball for the pass for 19 minutes against Italy, 16 minutes against Wales, and Marcus Smith for 17 minutes against Scotland. So huge amounts of time where their fly half wasn't making passes. And yet England won those periods 29 points to seven. So in those situations, England can just it can go, go to a different approach. Whereas Scotland, um, and to a slightly less extent France, when you remove Finn Russell or when you remove Untermack from the game, those teams will lose. And they will lose those, those periods of time quite significantly. So for some teams, we're seeing a move away from uh, the 10 being the, the crucial player. And you're seeing the, this this different operation of, of other people stepping in. Um, but for the other teams, Scotland probably the, the most critical. When Finn Russell's not there or when he's not um, effective in the game, the whole team is is suffering and they, their, their performance is dropping significantly. Yeah, it's amazing because we see, uh, like in our Super Rugby here, if Richie Moonga plays well, the Crusaders play well. If Bowden Barrett plays well, the Blues plays well. Um, the the criticism or early criticism or early observation of the Hurricanes is they probably don't have a 10 of that ilk so they can't win a competition and it's and the importance on that but through your analytics um, we're talking to Sam Lana of course, uh, actually I'll just mention um, he's got an Instagram called Whiteboard Rugby which has got a lot of very easy to follow, understand things um, also sought after by Rugby World Magazine, World Rugby website, and more recently, Rugby Pass. So you know what you're talking about. In, in all your research and analytics, have you ever come across some things that have surprised you? You thought, oh, I'll look at um, strike plays from a line-out. Uh, do you throw to the front, the middle, or the back? Um, rolling malls, all these sorts of things. Is there anything that you've, you've stumbled across and, and it sort of surprised you? Yeah, 
Yeah, so there's there's a few things over the years of, of being a quite big shock. Um, so at various points, it's become clear that penalties uh, don't matter a huge amount. Um, so obviously we, we've been kind of fed this idea that, you know, the team who concedes the most penalties loses. Um, now, where, well, so there's some fact to that. So typically it's, you know, it's not a good idea to concede penalties, especially attacking penalties. There's no, there's no benefit to that. Um, what we do often find is that if you're conceding a penalty uh, in your own 22 and you're not getting a yellow card for it, that's probably not a very bad penalty to, to concede. You might actually be a beneficial penalty con- to concede. Mm. Equally, um, if you're in the opposition 22 and you're really going at their, their uh, luck and so occasionally you're going to be winging that ball back, those penalties aren't too bad to concede either because opposition kicks to the sideline they might win the line out, but then they're immediately going to kick back to you in, in most cases, not always, but in most cases. So I think that was a real shocking insight to find that, that teams who conceded the most penalties didn't, didn't lose. Um, in fact, there was quite, there was really no correlation between penalties conceding and, and losses that goes against, um, I think a lot of rugby traditions and a lot of what's, what gets handed down. Um, I think as well, a, a big part, was the idea that so generally the most hated statistic out there is is meters carried. So people hate that because they assume that just you know fullbacks get the ball and get forty meters just easily, where there's a, a prop getting forty meters will we'll find it a lot harder. So where's the, there's some truth to that. There is quite a high correlation between meters gained and your overall success. Um, and so generally the team who gains the most meters. Um, will win the match you know, more often than not. Um, and again, that, that is an interesting one because that goes against a lot of uh, perceived wisdom in, um, in rugby. Um, and then the, the, the last one, which perhaps isn't as much of a shock, but probably calls into question kind of how we sometimes broadcast the game and, and what we talk about during those broadcasts, is that tackle success ends up being a key part but actually, it's it's the the, the raw number of, of missed tackles, which is generally the the bigger issue, and that makes sense, I guess. You know, ninety percent tackle success rate uh, when you make a hundred tackles um, is a lot better than ninety percent tackle success rate when you make two hundred tackles, because you know you're giving the op- uh, the opposition twenty more, or sorry, ten more, um, you know, line breaks or, or opportunities to attack. Um, and so, I think they're they're the kind of the biggest ones where. I see what people talk about. I see the kind of received wisdom of, of that, and actually, the truth is is a little bit different. And lastly, Sam, I wanted to ask you about. Um, it's almost celebrated when a team they have the phase counter up next to the clock on the graphic, and it says they've done fourteen phases. This is amazing. Uh, but our most tries scored within I don't know two or three phases of set piece, and and that's where the effectiveness is. Yeah, so so generally, um, the phases are scored in the, earlier than the count. Um, so, and that that typically makes sense. So, just just to give you some examples, in the Six Nations this year, um, a, a third of all tries have come off first phase, wow. um, and uh, over fifty percent. In fact, over so yeah, over fifty percent have come. Um, 
in the first three phases. Um, so, yeah, generally those, those tries are scored. The most popular phase to score a try is the first phase, and the majority of tries are scored in the first three phases. Um, but there are still a lot of uh, tries scored beyond that. So, again, in the Six Nations this year, 13% of tries, which equates to seven uh, in, in kind of low numbers, have been scored uh, in 10 or more phases. So, there, it, whilst it is true that those early phases are kind of the most productive, there's still a lot of, of tries are scored later on. Um, and you can, you can often see this in the, in the statistics. Um, typically, certain teams will be, uh, will be better as the count goes on. So typically, those teams who are more used to controlling possession for long periods of time. So that would be teams like um, South Africa, uh, Ireland, um, South Africa really only in the opposition 22. Generally, they, they're not a high-possession team. Um, and, and and then if we look at kind of club rugby, you know, the extra chiefs in the UK are probably the 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 archetypal team who, who holds on to possession. So those teams will tend to do better as the phase count goes up, whereas there are some teams who want to strike early, and if they can't strike early, um, they're generally going to struggle. So that phase counter... Um, Typically, as it goes up, the chances of scoring a try go down. Um, but it does depend a little bit on, on which team is attacking. And last, last thing, because I just thought of another one I wanted to ask you. When the referee says to the captain, you can have the scrum or the line out, which one should they take? It's a great, it is a great question. Um, so um, the line out leads to, by a massive margin, more tries than the scrum. Um, so again, just using the, uh, the, um, six nations figures. So 44% of, of all tries have come from a line out, not, not immediately afterwards. So not the first phase, but they've, that's been the starting point. Um, 20% have come from counter attack. So that's kicking back, uh, the turning kicks basically as, as the start. Um, 15% have come from turnovers, um, and just 11% have come from the scrum. So as a massive margin, the line out leads to more scrums um, and it is a better attacking weapon. So especially if you're in the opposition 22, you'd be better off going for a line out than a scrum. But the tap penalty um, is starting to kind of edge ahead of the line out. As you can imagine, the line out, even in the 22, where you're going to wing it a lot more because the opposition tends not to jump, um, your, your success isn't 100%. Whereas with a tap penalty, you're you're going to at least have the ball for kind of one phase, basically 100% of the time. Um, you probably also notice that, that referees tend to keep a closer eye on the things that they will ignore in the rest of the pitch. So things like sealing off in the in the mall, which very rarely gets called anywhere else, will get called um, when when it's in the opposition 22. Um, so the more technical the the set piece, so scrum's the most technical, that's the worst option because it's there's so little control. You know, you could get pinged for something you've been doing all match. Uh, the line out is a little bit less technical in terms of what the referees spot and so that will be be more effective. But then the tap penalty is incredibly untechnical and so um, that's probably according to the current stats, probably the best choice, especially when you're close to the opposition line. 
His Twitter name is Sam L Stands Up. I would uh, recommend you follow him and go through his analysis. Uh, it's been brilliant to catch up with you today, Sam. I, I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me, Mark. It's been great.